we have to consider that the EU indeed have done a lot to address this issue, starting mainly from 2005-2008 when the first uh, so-called comprehensive approach on WPS uh, was born in the EU. And especially in the post-Lisbon structures, women, peace and security, which now mainly referred to as gender mainstreaming in general in EU processes, including CSDP missions and operations and EU external action as well. I would say it has a whole package. Institutions, mechanisms, strategies, policies in place, and now we have lessons learned gathered from the ground as well. So effectiveness can be in question, but the EU is leading the way and definitely doing a lot to work on this issue. Welcome to the Diplomatic Academy, The Conversation. I'm your host, Petros Petrikos. This episode focuses on the role of women and their participation in CSDP missions. I'm pleased to say we have an expert with us for this topic who is enthusiastically researching this for her PhD and also happens to be a friend and colleague from the doctoral school of the ESDC, Veronika Horniak. Uh, hi, Veronika. I'm very excited you're finally part of this series of, of our podcast. Hello, Petros. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It's lovely to be here and I'm looking forward to have an exciting discussion about this very important topic. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, just a few words about Veronica. She is a PhD candidate at the Doctoral School of Military Sciences at the University of Public Service in Ludovica, Budapest, Hungary, and a doctoral fellow at the Doctoral School on CSDP at the European Security and Defense College. She holds master's degrees in international public service relations and international security and defense policy and a postgraduate diploma in sports diplomacy. Her area of expertise is in European security and defense and her PhD research focuses on gender mainstreaming in EU-led military missions. Veronica also completed internships in Europe and overseas, including the Hungarian Academy of Sciences, the Consulate General of Hungary in Barcelona, and the Permanent Mission of Hungary to the United Nations in New York with Erasmus and Campus Mundi Scholarship. Alongside her doctoral studies, Veronica works as a consultant on capacity-building projects in the fields of internationalization, education, and gender equality. Most recently, Veronica has been nominated for a Fulbright scholarship with which she is planning to complete a non-degree program in Washington in the 2023 to 2024 academic year. So you're pretty much very active in the field, uh, Veronica, but if you don't mind me asking, could you tell us a bit more on how your work and your current research focus was developed uh, maybe what sparked this specific interest for your PhD. And at the same time, if you could also share a bit more on what your work is currently focused on, that would be great. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, thank you again for the opportunity. So uh, I would try not to repeat <laughs> what you just uh, said in, the in, the, in this very kind of introduction. But um, I would just say one thing which I usually like to emphasize because I in my career I had this shift from international uh, institutions slash international relations uh, to security studies uh, later on and that was very much connected to my experience uh, interning for um, 
the permanent mission of Hungary uh, in New York for the United Nations, where I was lucky enough to cover some security, uh, security council meetings. And that's where I picked up or I got familiar with the uh, Women, Peace and Security agenda, which we will hopefully also touch upon today, uh, talking about this very interesting and important topic. Uh, so, so there and then my interest turned to security studies and the role of women in conflict resolution and peacekeeping. And more specifically today, um, I have a more European focus. So I would like to focus on the European regional level a little bit more, um, the transatlantic sometimes. But um, in principle, I deal with EU external policies, especially EU CSDP missions and operations. And usually I like to focus on two, or I would say I have two permanent lens through which I like to focus on these topics. And these are gender perspective and military perspective. Well, I do believe that we have a lot of very good research and very rich literature on uh, EU CSDP missions and operations from gender perspective, but still the military and the intersection of um, EU studies, military studies and gender studies is yet not researched that much. So I would like, I, I tend to focus more on that in my work. In a more broader term, I, as I mentioned, I like to focus on European security and I like to consider it as a part of the transatlantic security architecture. And most currently, I focused on a couple of case studies. I am now working on a policy brief on EU training mission Mozambique, which is the most recent training mission of the European uh, Union, a very specific one. And um, lately, I've been also focusing on Cyprus, as I think it's a very interesting country context uh, researching women in peace operations or women peace and security in, in general, as the UN mission in Cyprus, the UNFITIP, is leading by example by having uh, several female leaders across components. Besides that, as let's say, wearing my consultant and a bit more project management related hat, I work on, with my university, I work on a project called EU Secure Project. This is an Erasmus Plus um, strategic partnership project. And it's a very important one because it focuses on um, interdisciplinary training and raising awareness on um, security issues in the European Union mostly focusing on um, university students and, and like youth in particular, which is, I think today is very important to have young people who are interested in and are familiar with issues we're facing daily basis. Yeah, you know, it's very good to, to hear about all these things that you're saying, because it's clear to me that you've identified, you've identified a gap where you're hoping to fill in with uh, novel knowledge, but at the same time, new approaches. And it's good to, I mean, both you and I, you, you know, you, you know how we've seen in our respective work that this is also reflected uh, different misunderstandings or mishappenings, not just in research, but also in policy. And uh, there, there's, a, there's a sizable gap, especially when it comes to do, uh, within security studies, when we focus, when we look at women's participation, when we look at gender or questions of gender, there is a gap and it's just not addressed enough. Uh, and to me, it sounds very weird because uh, among my very first experiences and interactions with the concept of gender, feminist security studies and so on and international relations, 
I remember we had a lecture mm. in my first year at the university when the topic was actually just that, uh, feminist approaches to international relations. And over 50%, <laughs> over 50% of the normal attendees of the students didn't even show up. And that's a problem. That's a problem. Because if you see this in academia, then you definitely see this in policy. And it also impacts policy in different ways. And I guess this brings me to my first question that I wanted to ask, which is admittedly a bit of a challenging question. We love challenging questions. We do love challenging questions. Yes. Uh, how effective do you think, given your uh, interest in the EU, uh, do you feel that the EU has been in encouraging the fair participation of women in its external action service, but also more specifically within CSDP circles? I would say even if I consider myself someone who tried to look at European Union and European Union institutions and processes from or through critical lens, I do believe that the EU had done a lot and we can say better or in which context it was more effective but or not and in, in encouraging participation of women in CSDP, including missions and operations. What we have to acknowledge that since the, the birth of the Women, Peace and Security Agenda, which, which basically created um, or yeah, boosted the discussion of women's participation in security and defense from 2000 with U.S. Security Council Resolution 1325 and then nine subsequent resolutions, we can say that the EU started to address this question early on when it was still um, referring to security and defense as European security and defense and later on common security and defense. So I do believe that the EU have done a lot. Uh, we have to acknowledge that there were some theaters or missions or operational areas where, or areas of, of, of operation where the EU have or could be, could have been, or could be a bit more effective. It depends on um, country context, depends on intensity of the conflict. It depends on historical heritage of that certain conflict. So the effectiveness is different in every country case or every case, let's just say that in a very simple way. But we have to consider that the EU indeed have done a lot to address this issue, starting mainly from 2005, 2008, when the first uh, so-called comprehensive approach on WPS uh, was born in the EU. And especially in the post-Lisbon structures, women, peace and security, which now mainly referred to as gender mainstreaming in general in EU processes, including CSDP missions and operations and EU external action as well. I would say it has a whole package, institutions, mechanisms, strategies, policies in place. And now we have lessons learned gathered from the ground as well. So effectiveness can be in question, but the EU is leading the way and definitely doing a lot to work on this issue. I mean, I, I, I understand. I mean, I, I would say that indeed it does depend on the case-specific scenario that we have. Also, the EU is one of the largest providers and aspires now. I mean, in terms of aid, it's one of the largest providers of aid. Um, uh, and at the same time, when it comes to security, it also aspires within its uh, strategic priorities to be um, uh, a comprehensive and uh, more 
you know, reliable security provider, not just for its member states, but also for its partners and associates. So this includes associate members, which is very important. And within the CSDP context, uh, you're, you are absolutely right. It's, it's not easy to specify and it's not easy also to measure effectiveness because when we ask this question, how effective it is, and which is why it's very challenging, you can't really measure it unless you have concrete results. And those results are transposed or essentially transferred, I would say, to the institutions within the case, uh, within the country case that, that is specific and for that, I guess, especially when it comes to individual missions, new approaches, new frameworks have to be crafted. And obviously, there are also existing frameworks and policies that give shape to how CSDP missions should be on the ground, but also, you know, behind the scenes and in the setup. And I guess this brings me to this other question on the specific framework and policies what are those uh, in place uh, when it comes to promoting and measuring women's participation across CSDP missions? Uh, and if uh, you, and it's also perhaps interesting for our listeners if you um, are able to elaborate on when these uh, policies were first introduced and if there's a direct connection to the Women, Peace and Security, the WPS agenda. Because within the agenda, we see there's a lot of connection uh, across not just within the EU, but a lot of other countries, a lot of third countries uh, refer to the WPS agenda as a foundation of pushing for more women's rights, for more representation, for more participation, especially within the field of, of security. Mm, yeah, well, whenever we or whenever I talk about or teach about or present about this topic, I would like to just touch upon very briefly on, on women, peace and security. And that's just just to make our audience understand what are the main pillars. So when we refer to women, peace and security agenda, we refer to UN Security Council 3025 um, uh, from 2000, uh, what we called the uh, the milestone uh, or landmark resolution of the UN Security Council. And there are nine subsequent resolutions, as I already mentioned. But what is also very important that WPS agenda focuses on four pillars. And I'm very glad that you already mentioned that uh, EU is one of, or is the biggest, one of the biggest humanitarian donors in the world. Because for example, one of the pillars of WPS agenda is relief and recovery, which is very much connected to the humanitarian issues and topics, but the, the rest, uh, the, the other three pillars, protection, participation, and prevention, are those uh, which are also uh, included in um, how the EU reflects on uh, WPS in its, let's say, regional implementation. Because uh, when, we, when we take a look at um, WPS in the EU or gender and security in the European Union, because in the European Union lately, it was mostly referred to, the topic was mostly referred to as gender and security. So we have to um, kind of understand that it started as the regional implementation of the, the Women, Peace and Security agenda, this normative agenda um, on how to integrate women into uh, peace, peace resolution or conflict resolution, sorry, and uh, how to 
um, protect them from the disproportionate effect of war, as well as how to integrate create more women um, into different decision-making levels and different um, components in peace operations. So there was, this was the main idea and um, it all started early 2000s. And it was interesting that you refer to your experience about uh, encountering women, peace and security agenda first in the classroom, because in my case, it was very different. I met this topic in Security Council resolutions and in in policy in, in a very much um, let's say policy and politics um, connected environment, and then I needed to put together the literature and the academic um, background. So in my case, this was it was a very different kind of uh, first meeting <laughs> or first date with WBS. Hmm. So. Um, the EU started, as I mentioned, in 2005 and mainly 2008 to dealing with WPS, uh, with the so-called comprehensive approach on women, peace and security in the European Union, which after the Lisbon, uh, the post-Lisbon structures and the Lisbon Treaty and uh, institutionalization, including the establishment of the European External Action Service, it kind of be, have become the integral part of how the EU reflects and react on crisis management and conflict situations. And as you already highlighted, and that's I think that's also a very important point, that it's not only um, an internal security issue, but it's also reflected in the EU external action in terms of neighborhood policy, like direct um, with, with our direct neighbors, and also um, host countries which are partner countries so basically any country in the world so such as mozambique or or other countries after the external action service was set up uh, some institutional mechanisms and and most importantly some indicators to measure women peace and security implementation in eu uh, csdp and eu external actions were created they were also revised, which shows in 2016, these indicators were revised, which means that the EU wanted to follow up and not only kind of put some principles on the table, but uh, putting it in practice. And these indicators, um, as I mentioned, they were revised and they are still used, but now today, which shapes, the, um, let's say the policy and mostly the strategic political uh, um, approach on women, peace and security agenda in CSDP missions and operations is um, the so-called EU strategic approach, or uh, which was created in 2018. And that was the, uh, it's kind of the new comprehensive approach. So now we have strategic approach on WPS, which is also integrated um, in, the, in the, let's say, strategic system of the European Union. So um, if I would have to emphasize the three main documents to guide someone who wants to take a look at what the EU does on EU in, in its external action and CSDP and women, peace and security, it would be the gender equality action plan. The third one, which uh, goes from 2020, 2025, up until 2025, then we have the EU strategic approach from 2018, and we have a very, um, um, I would say, a very operative document, the EU Action Plan on Women, Peace and Security, which um, 
refers to the period of 2019 and 2024. And that's kind of the implementation. Yeah, the implementation strategy of the strategic approach where the principles and ideas and guiding principles were uh, translated to a more operational language, a more practical guidance for CSDP missions and operations. So I think this should be the three ones to take a quick look at. And, um, and uh, these today are those which are guiding the work on the strategic political level uh, of the CSDP missions and operations. So we have ways of formulating policy. We have ways of even measuring um, through the indi- uh, through these um, indicators that you've mentioned. But at EU level, do you think that there is a way? And if there is, how does this happen when it comes to encouraging women's participation in uh, CSDP missions, but also beyond in general when we look at security uh, and defense? Do you think that starting from an e- from the EU level, like a top down approach. Do you think that these policies and frameworks help shape member state uh, local policy, uh, particularly when it comes to promoting and encouraging women's participation in this context? I believe yes, but I also believe that um, if we take a look at the system of women, peace and security action plans in Europe, we can have two very different kind of approach on this. One is taking a look at how member states or whether member states has a national action plan. And we can refer to the European regional action plan as one of the action plans in Europe. Or we can take a look at the EU regional action plan and then take a look at national action plans as kind of um, more localized implementations of the agenda. But you have asked about a top-down approach. I would say there is a top-down approach um, um, encouraging member states to send more women, and for example, to send more women in, in, to peace operations and CSDP missions and operations. But um, I would say this is more like an encouragement than and, and, and guiding principles and guidelines and, and recommendations. So the EU can't do uh, a lot, for example, about having more women in the Navy, because if we take a look at military participation of of female troops in CSDP missions and operations, we see that across all CSDP missions and operations uh, in 2020 was 7%, which seems to be a very low number. But when we think that military missions and operations are either... um, like currently, for example, EU Nafar met Irani in the Mediterranean or are, are mostly like um, um, naval missions. And we know that from literature and from statistics that women in Europe are mostly serving in the army, not in the Navy. And we know that across European member states contributing uh, to CSIP missions and as troop contributors, they maybe have between five to up until maybe 10% of women in their Navy. 7% across all CSF military operations is, um, let's say, a legitimate number. So <laughs> you can't really 
Mm. You would like to uh, accelerate organic development, which we have experienced since the 90s, since the 70s, 80s, sorry, um, which took place in several European armed forces integrating women and opening, for example, um, different positions. And now in almost all European member states, um, women are serving in the armed forces and almost all um, positions are open for them. But EU has an effect on this organic development with policies, recommendations, and um, that's, as I said, more like an encouragement, but can't accelerate uh, significantly the organic development of the integration of women in the armed forces. So now, for example, in Hungary, we have our first general, uh, female general in the armed forces, but obviously generals are not coming to our forces just, um, you know, from one day to the other. So we kind of need to be patient and have the right amount of push uh, and encouragement for member states helping those women who decided to serve in armed forces and to kind of help their way to be able to get there and to be able to participate as uh, female troops on the ground in CSDP missions and operations. So sorry, that was a long answer, but short answer is the EU does do a lot. It encourages member states to do a lot, but also um, when we want to take a look at numbers, we have to be patient with, I would say, with ourselves and with our with our female troops because they, they need time because they just, and uh, when I say just, I refer to, as I said, 1970s, 80s, when they started to open armed forces to women. So we need to be patient helping this organic development and helping the career of, of um, female troops and female uniform personnel to actually get there. And it's not gonna be a short, <laughs> this is not a short-term short term goal. It's a long-term goal for sustainability. Well, for, uh, one, for one thing, I, I recognize that. That is, uh, <clears throat> especially because in the past, this framework, this structure in place did not exist at all. And even before then, we didn't even have women in uh, the military. It's, uh, it's, it makes sense for us to, to to be you know to have this need of being patient and then so that we get to see more concrete results and it's good to hear about how you've uh, you have a very good understanding of what the structures are in place but i well, now I, i'd like to ask you about how would you describe women's role in CSDP missions how do you view it how do you understand it specifically hmm. i like this question because this gives room for us to discuss the individual perspective of women on the ground, which sometimes, as I experienced during um, making interviews with, with uh, women on the ground and with policy makers, sometimes I believe that there is a different perspective what we feel that we need to do for women on the ground and then what they actually need when they are on the ground. So first of all, most of the women who are in CSDP missions and operations, how would I describe them? They are there to serve. 
So they are there and they just want to do their jobs. They are there across all the sectors, all components from civilian to military, from administrative to higher level positions. So now we can actually say that if, if you ask me what's the role of women in CSDP missions and operations, I would say they have role later, like everywhere. So they are everywhere. They are contributing from, from bottom up, top down, military, civilian, from all the sectors and so on. The second thing uh, that they are there and they are doing their job, whatever is that, maybe they're a civilian expert and in, in a monitoring mission, uh, or maybe they are, um, they are doing uh, training for uh, armed forces in Mozambique for counterinsurgency. So their role can be, let's say, mm, differentiated based on their tasks. But I would say that most female or most female troops on, in CSDP missions and operation has this secondary hat, or we can say that they all like dual headed positions <laughs> or in dual headed positions because they also has this unofficial role of leading by example. Um, even if they they don't want to, and if they, even if they want to, because if you think about it, if you're a single female soldier in uh in a mission, for example, or maybe there are two of you in a mission, it's uh, indirectly a kind of spotlight. Some people maybe like that spotlight, might some people maybe don't. Some people want to be that person who are all the pictures because they want the pictures to be representative. So they want to have a woman on the picture. So maybe they are those soldiers who wants to be that, that woman on the picture, but maybe they're not that soldier. Maybe they just want to do their job. Maybe they just want to deal with the trainees. Maybe they just want to, you know, maybe they explicitly doesn't want to be that kind of uh, soldier who is just put there because they are women. So they, I would say that besides the actual task, uh, female soldiers are carried out or, or carrying out on the ground. They have this unofficial position or role as being a women in the mission. And um, Sometimes, uh, based on my experiences with um, discussing these issues with these female soldiers, for example, these create an additional burden um, on these um, female uniformed personnel that, that, that is not always good for them. So when we want to put a female soldier into spotlight to to let's say to do to be more representative to show that yes we have women on the ground we are leading by example which is one of the one of the goals of the strategic approach on women peace and security in the European Union but maybe that women just doesn't want to be that women or that woman doesn't want to be that woman sorry and um, and they feel it as a burden because they just want they they just want to serve as a soldier, not as a female soldier. So besides their tax, they usually have to um, be the woman of the mission or the women in the mission whenever they want to or they 
don't want to. And um, well, this is a interesting duality of whether we, because of course we want to have representation and we want to tell the story of those women who were fighting extra hard to get there and fighting extra hard to, to get into a combat unit and to maybe to, they needed to prove that they are, that they have to be there. And most of the times these women said that they have to work extra hard, but these women usually also said that whenever they are deployed and whenever they are on the ground, they just want to do their job because they, they mostly enjoy their job, which is great. So, yeah, I think that's a, this individual perspective is a very important one, which we, which we do not um, discuss enough. No, you know, you're absolutely right. And it's something perhaps that we would, um, uh, it's not discussed enough, but at the same time, it's uh, perhaps an additional need uh, in terms of within the, the overarching theme of, you know, what, how do you promote and encourage women's participation within a CSDP context? First and foremost, you should also listen to what, how women feel about the, the overarching uh, context and structure that engulfs this whole process you know the pressure that they feel as you've said sometimes to be exposed uh, in uh, pictures uh, just for the sake of you know showcasing that the mission also includes women well it's obviously a good thing but you know not every single person uh, is you know willing to be uh, to have their picture taken and that's absolutely fine it's you know we're talking about different personalities and that has to be acknowledged um, also at the individual level, something that I call academically. <laughs> I refer to it as the agency of things because we will look at the structure. Now we have to also consider the agency and how not just, you know, at the individual soldier level, but also at leadership level, how women feel. Um, yeah, and if you just uh, let me add a quick comment to that. Whenever we we because whenever we talk about CSP missions and operations and I, I'm specifically looking at military missions and operations and when we talk about military we have to consider the nature of military that in military the uniform is uniform for a reason it's called uniform personnel for a reason and most uh, women in the military they want to as I said, want to see the soldiers carrying out that task, whatever it that whatever task they have, and they don't necessarily want to have a spotlight on that aspect that they are women. So, I think that's um, that's that's only the thing that we really have to consider, especially in case of military missions, that um, that the the nature of military and armed forces is not necessarily a place where you want to emphasize your uniqueness in something because that's not the nature of the armed forces the nature of the armed forces is that everybody has a job they're a team everybody's kind of uniformed i don't want to use the word conforming but i want to emphasize that in some cases this can be a backlash for team coherence for example and you know, and, and, and for these things. So, 
Yeah, I just wanted to add that because I, I experienced that this is sometimes the case for female troops. Um, great. So um, I'd like to ask you a final question on uh, specifically how do you envision, you know, looking further into the future and perhaps realistically as well in uh, the with the as things currently stand how do you personally envision given your expertise and your research um, a revised role uh, for the external action service when it comes to prioritizing specific security and defense needs for women in missions and beyond and maybe if you also want to address any existing policy that could be revised or completely scrapped <laughs> depending on how you feel about it <laughs> that would be great Okay, well, you have amazing and very challenging questions for me today. <laughs> um, it's the name of the game, as my supervisor likes to say. <laughs> okay, well, we, we like challenging questions and we like the game. So, <laughs> yeah, challenges. Well, uh, EES and the whole EU, I, I think now is facing a lot of challenges in general not only in terms of gender mainstreaming, and obviously I won't get into all the security-related issues going on in European regional, um, let's say European region, in terms of security and defense, but, um, but I think all experts and like practitioners are working with security studies right now say that we have a moment or a period where everything is going on and we have room for improvement alongside a lot of challenges. And um, well, I say that um, European Union in the last 20 years, um, especially with the work of EES in the last 10 years, has really um, made this kind of package, which I emphasized in the beginning of our conversation. So we have tools and we kind of identified the needs of, um, so we, we kind of know what we have to do. We, can, we kind of want to find ways and try to find ways. We have strategies in place, policies in place, action plans, indicators. Uh, we have institutional structure now is changing inside the EES. Um, and we have cooperation um, on WPS, for example, with NATO, um, which is, as the EU's um, strategic compass also said, is still the first security provider in the region, which we should not forget, um, and which also addresses WPS. So I think what we have to consider now, and I don't want to necessarily approach this as a human resources question, mm -hmm. but this is a big discussion inside EAS and also um, whenever I talk to anyone in, in, who is connected somehow to planning, for example, a military operation or a military mission in the, in the EU. So... They say, and I could quote this because this is in all the literature I read on gender and CSDP, that gender is a missing capability in the European Union. And if we won't be able to address this, uh, well, then 
whatever tools and policies and strategies and actions plans we have without the necessary um, capable people in HQ, in headquarters, and on the ground, we won't be able to implement it. Hmm. So if I just have to say one challenge to one recent challenge, which is not a short-term one to be solved, and which needs to be addressed and is try and the EU and the EES actually is actively trying to address this is that we have more people, not necessarily gender experts, but those people who understand that gender aspect and gender perspective is one of the aspects that they which they has to consider when they do operational planning, for example, or when they want to do. Um, human rights training in Mozambique or when they want to or, or in Central African Republic as part of the training missions or when we want to advise um, uh, MODs of partner countries we work with. So we need people who understand these concepts at the basic level at least and they know why this is important <laughs> and whenever I try to emphasize this I I also like to say this because <laughs> everybody who deals with uh, gender-based streaming and gender studies, I think, kind of experience that. That we who deal with these things, we don't think that this is the whole world. So we, I definitely don't, don't believe that gender perspective is the perspective which we have to, you know, just keep repeating, and then everything's gonna be better. But I do believe that European. Um, missions and operation and, and and this is like whenever we think think about civilians or 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 civilian missions or military missions and operations, we need people um, who understands why this is important and why this has to be one of the perspectives um, taken into consideration in in every phase and and every phase of the, the, the processes across all sectors and components and missions and, and pillars. So whenever we say that gender is a missing capability, European Union tries to focus on having more gender advisors like full-headed gender advisors and missions, which uh, is now in place. So almost all CSP missions and operations has gender advisors. And we also try to put uh, gender focal points and across components and missions and operations who are responsible for having that gender perspective or gender sensitive approach across that mission. Um, but I, as far as I see now, I still have to write my PhD, <laughs> but it's, as I see it now, this is not necessarily the answer, especially that um, my perception now on, on gender expertise, like exclusive gender expertise deployed in missions, that they are, um, the gender, gender experts are mostly coming from humanitarian settings and they are uh, very knowledgeable on human rights issues, civilian aspects, uh, but we are still lacking those um, gender advisors, and I don't want to say completely, but in in general. So I would say we miss gender capacities who has security and defense background. Absolutely. Who understands that 
gender is not women, gender is not human rights, it's not only humanitarian law, and it's not only relief and recovery, it's also operational planning, operational effectiveness. And I mean, I was struggling with this because I myself as a civilian in the doctoral school of military sciences, I needed to go through all the, let's say, all the hard military studies um, subjects and classes. And it wasn't easy, but it was much needed because if I don't have that, I would still, I don't want to say I would still only have um, this policy based approach from the UN, from a civilian side, which is very important, but definitely not enough. And it's definitely not a comprehensive approach if we only have that. So we need those gender experts or any kind of experts who are specialized in security and defense and who are specialized in implementing these gender perspective across components and missions, even if it's a train trainer who um, who training soldiers for basic military training or a high level decision maker who believes that including that one reference to have some kind of gender sensitive language in a policy or in a strategy for example in the strategic compass that's important would you be hinting in a way that maybe we might be needing someone like you who is uh, in fact specializing in this <laughs> oh no i i oh wow this is funny i what you were asking this is not the part a place of self-promotion i'm very happy with the academic sphere i'm in it i'm in right now but basically, in the last two years, that was the um, experience and um, the clear understanding which I got from people who I talked to, and I was able to talk to a lot of people. But yeah, I do believe that I, I would like to call myself a unique uh, kind of animal who, as a civilian, went to doctoral military uh, doctoral school of military sciences and deals with gender issues, and people doesn't really understand why I am doing this and but I think that um I think that this is um let's say an important issue not because I personally think this is an important but as we see only for example the evolution of warfare um how international community is focusing on peace operations how we try to implement um, implement holistic approach comprehensive approach everywhere Comprehensive approach means that civilians, police, military working together, which means women, men, very different people working together, international people working for, uh, together. So we need people who understand different contexts and can kind of put on different kind of hats when the country context uh, needs it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No one is an expert in everything. That's impossible. We cannot be uh, jack of all trades and expect that we we are actually masters of every single trade. And uh, you know, it's 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 interesting what you've said, and also kind of uh, somewhat frustrating, you know, to come to the realization that there have been incidents where, especially when it comes to policy and implementing these these things, that uh, there are. Uh, because of this difficulty in communicating the need to get specialists who actually incorporate the security and the defense dimension of uh, 
gender and uh, women's uh, participation and so on it, it, it it's it, sometimes you get lost in translation and there are you know misunderstandings when you refer to specific security and defense needs and then it becomes a question of human rights or a question of uh, gender-based violence which is of course these things are very important to be placed in that sphere as well as part of the discussion but we also have to distinctly mention and define and you know place into the appropriate context what we do uh, mean by security and defense in this case. Yeah, and if so, let me add this, just, just a very quick example. Just imagine that we are gender advisors deployed to EU, EU for Altea or military operation in Bosnia. And then we are, or, or then after that, our next assignment is EU training mission in Mozambique. And... EU for Altea mission, obviously in Bosnia, that would be a very different country context in terms of gender equality, in terms of how women's participation in the society is already uh, kind of given. And then putting ourselves into the other side of the world where maybe, especially in African context, we uh, usually work, our European Union, we usually work with with countries where uh, women have very different physical security, including physical security needs. So it's a very different position to be gender advisor in, in let's say, Bosnia or EU, like Kosovo civilian missions than in EU training mission in Mozambique, where we train uh, special forces for counterinsurgency and counterterrorism operations. So it's it's all based and depend on country context and yeah we need people who are able to understand this and uh, are able to make people around them understand this and the importance of this issue yeah yeah and uh, of course you know contributing to the security needs of each specific case and making people safe is also a priority Exactly. So um, with that being said, I'd like to thank you so much for all the insights you've provided, the very elaborate uh, de uh, definitions and putting us into a better context and helping us understand uh, what the gaps are, how you view uh, the, the whole situation. And uh, it's really good to keep, you know, I'd like to keep uh, looking at these things and because it's very important to be uh, to encourage people to become aware and be part of this conversation constantly I'd like to thank you so much Veronica for your time and I wish you all the best in your work thank you so much and thank you for the audience I hope that they are inspired to take a look at this on their respective field and thank you Petros this was fun and all the best for you too <laughs>